Hey guys, thanks for subscribing to the Runner Sports Podcast feed and the Stop, Pop, and Drop podcast. Kyle and I have a really special episode for you here today. Last week we had a chance to sit down with my friend and mentor Rob Parker and talk about the going to work Pistons in between the Jersey retirements of Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups. Thanks to Sweet Lorraine's in Southfield, excellent food and friendly staff. Thanks as always to Actar Actar for our theme music. Thanks to Runner Sports and thanks again to you for listening. Enjoy. Southfield, Michigan. Uh, we have a very special guest today for the podcast, and that's Rob Parker. I don't have to ask how Rob is doing, because I know that he's still riding the high from watching Tom Brady lose the ah, there championship. You go. There you go. You already know. <laughs> I know he's pretty stoked about that. Um, so today's a very special show, uh, taking a break from the normal NBA banter. Our show is based in Detroit, as most of you know, and we're right now in between two different Jersey retirements that mean a lot to the people of this community. Uh, the first being Ben Wallace, who was retired on January 16th, and the next one, Chauncey Billups on February 10th. That team meant a lot to the people around here, and uh, it's been a little more than 10 years, and uh, we wanted to talk about this team that went to six straight Eastern Conference Finals, two consecutive finals, and then of course won the 2003-2004 NBA Championship. Who better to do so than with a man who spent more time with those guys than their own families did? Just about. Than Rob Parker. So, just diving right into it, um, Rob, I know you went to the Detroit News in 1993. Uh, how did it come to be that you inherited the beat and started working with the Pistons directly, okay. covering the Pistons? I didn't cover the Pistons. I was a columnist for the Detroit News at that time. Okay. But I did cover almost all of their games, even on nights when I didn't write. So I was with them a lot. Yeah. Playoffs, I traveled, I did all, you know, I was there when, uh, I always say like certain games you always remember for the rest of your life. The Tayshawn Block, I'm sitting there in Indianapolis. I mean, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And um, I watched that team evolve and get better and better and then become this unbelievable team that everybody fell in love with. And you know what, it was easy to love them because I don't think anybody had ever put together a slogan for a team that perfectly matched a team. They didn't have a nickname. And that going to work, yeah. you know, with the yeah. with the whistle that they used to play, like the work whistle. That's all you needed. It was perfect. Yeah. And it was a team made up of misfits and people maybe didn't work out in other systems and situations that all came together. And I don't think we'll ever see a better or well put together team like that ever again. Because it truly was a team. No number one guy, no star. It was unbelievable. You guys, I think we're done here. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Is that it? Can you, Good night, everybody. <laughs> let's, let's, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, well put. You really couldn't put it any better. They were the consummate team. Uh, every piece, everyone had a part in the puzzle. And uh, I think at any team at any level, that's really important. Um, 
and it was really well balanced. Chauncey, of course, won the finals MVP, but uh, just based on kind of how he played in the series. Well, know. remember, he killed Gary Payton yeah. and was the X Factor, right? Yeah. Gary Payton was killed. But the, the thing I thought was with Chauncey was when Larry Brown came, Larry Brown being a former point guard himself, he was always tough on point guards. Yeah. So Chauncey, of course, was a top pick when he went to Boston originally. Things didn't work out there, bounced around a lot of teams, but this is a really good player. Yes. He came here, and Larry got hold of him and actually transformed him. I thought that Larry did a great job, and Chauncey became, he lived up to the potential of him. I think he was a top three or four pick in the in the draft to the, to the Celtics when he came out of um, college. So Larry had a lot, of, um, a lot to do with Chauncey rising to that level. And I thought it was almost fitting that he was wound up being the MVP because Larry had put so much into Jones. Yeah. I agree. He was always really talented offensively, very good shooter. I think he's still top ten uh, main threes all time. But he also developed him as a defensive player. Chauncey made a couple all-defensive teams, which I don't think he was touching early on in his career. That That is true. And the other part is, when you talk about Larry Brown and his stamp on this team and what he did, you remember when Rick Carlisle was the coach, and they won 50 games and they did all right, yeah. but he didn't want Ben to be a part of the offense. If you remember, the only thing Ben could do was put backs, you know, and stuff like that, but there were no plays run for Ben Wallace. When Larry Brown came and took over, the first thing he did, if you remember, Bench Ben Darko. usually shot the first shot. <laughs> huh? Bench Darko? Yeah, no. <laughs> that too. But the first thing he did was Ben normally took the first shot of every game. Ben was given the ball, and there were plays called for him, but I'm almost almost every game, it was tradition that Ben would take the first shot. And what he was doing was trying to include this guy in the mix so that, you know, when you give a guy a little bit more offensively, the defense comes, you know, you feel like you're a part of it, and I'm just not here so these guys can shoot. I'm a part of the team, and it made Ben a better player. You're more engaged. And Absolutely. there's definitely something to be said about how once you get the, even just your hands on the ball early in the game, you're going to be more ready when your time comes. So the fact that they actually put the ball in his hands to start most of the game. Do you remember that? If you really think back, I mean, he used to take the first shot almost every game. Yeah. That's wow. That's one of the things. You touched on it like the perfect slogan for that team and, uh, you know, the, the going to work team. And it kind of was perfect embodiment of what the city was at the time. You know, Detroit really grasped the Pistons at that time. I think that was cool. I mean, Ben Wallace and Chauncey and rip they were like heroes to every i mean i was 10 years old when this with this 04 team and they were you know mythical creatures to us you know fear the fro everything like that e- even cool. the uh even uh the pit bulls with lindsey hunter and mike james exactly remember they used to have the dog whenever yeah. they came in yeah. and those guys would come in and people loved them they come in for 10 minutes and 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 get steals and and get stops i mean it was an incredible group Collis Williamson was the sixth man off the bench. He would come in and score baskets. He, it was a really, really good team. People forget. It was a fun were. team. Fun. I think that's when, and you obviously saw it more than anybody. It's just it was fun to watch game in and game out. And, and I'll tell you this. Now you gotta remember, I've been a sports writer for thirty years. I've been to all these games. I've been to all these introductions. All this stuff, you know. And I, yeah. you know, after a while, it's like, okay, God, you're in the back. Let me know when the game starts because you don't want to, you know, be involved. So I remember during the finals, sitting there in the back with all the writers from all over the country, sitting there, and, you know, it was time for the introductions with Mason. And they were all getting up going, 
And I'm like, where are you guys going? Like, the game's not started. I still got 15 minutes, yeah. you know. Yeah. I want to see the introductions. Here are longtime sports writers who got swept up in, in that introduction. And remember, around the league, everybody went out and tried to copy Mason. They thought the Pistons had the, the best intros. It was a place to be. People wanted to be a part of it. It was one of those things, man. You wanted to go there and, and enjoy it. It was a great night out. It was a fun team. And the atmosphere was unbelievable. I, I, I've covered a lot of teams in 30 years, and I'm telling you, that group was special. And I was there for the uh, Ben Wallace's uh, number being retired, and just seeing those guys all back and what it meant and seeing Larry Brown make it and Tayshaun, who's still in the league, make the effort to be there and those guys. It was tremendous. It was one of the best I've ever been. That's really cool. It was, it was pretty great. Uh, you know, quick kind of timeline of how it happened, they built that team really quickly. So Joe Dumars uh, retired after the 1999 season, I believe, and then went immediately into the president's role? He had the first year, he won the president. He kind of was in the front office and okay. oversaw for the first year. Rick Sun, okay. I believe, was still the GM. or, And then the next year, Joe took over. So the first year was just kind of let take a look, see what's going on. And I'll tell you, the thing that I always say is what, what Joe's uh, motto was, it's not about being right, it's about getting it right. And I think when you think about that, it makes sense because of what happens with a lot of GMs, if I draft you, I'm going to make it work because i got to prove everybody that I was right in picking you. Yeah. So, yeah. so they get caught up in that. You know what I mean? Oh, I can't trade you because then they'll say, but why'd you draft them? And I think when Joe had situations and players that didn't match and didn't work, he was very honest with himself to be able to just say, I'm just going to, you know. That has to be a tough thing. Yeah, like Mateen Cleese when he came here. Yeah. And that was a pick. And at the time, remember, he won a championship in 2000. They needed a point guard. Where did he get taken? Um, was it first round? First round, 14 or 13. Really? Yeah. But, but at, you remember, he's coming off a championship. So you got to hire profile people. But my point is, I think when they got there, is I think Rick Carlisle was, wasn't game with playing Mateen and didn't want him a part of what he was trying to do. Yeah. So rather than fight him and let Mateen sit on the bench and people go, how come Mateen's not playing? How come Mateen's not playing? Joe decided, okay, I'll make a trade and, and, and move him. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. So Joe takes over. Grand Hill comes in and says, thanks. Right. I'm out of here. First, year, first thing. First year they traded Grand Hill for Ben Wallace and... Well, remember... And Chucky Atkins. And Chucky it, Atkins. Was, it wasn't that it was a trade. He was a free agent, and he was he was leaving. So Joe said, okay, you can go, but in order to get the max amount of money, sign it had to trade. be a sign and trade. So Joe could have been bitter that Grant Hill was walking out, right, and said, I'm not going to max out this guy out. Go ahead to Orlando and take whatever you get. Instead says, I want Ben Wallace. I want something for Grant That's Hill. That's his first year. That's, That's his, his first, first year move. as president. His first to, move. The cornerstone of what we got to see as the going-to-work Pistons, Joe did it instead of just letting Grant walk for nothing. And and that's what I'm talking about when people try to say, you know, or, or say anything about Joe's run as GM. A lot of those moves were tremendous, and that was the first one was money. I was just going to touch on that. And, and kind of after, after this group broke up, 2009 and on, Get some players that you know didn't work out. Obviously, the Charlie Villanueva, mm -hmm. Ben Gordon offseason nightmares episode. Uh, but he had a run where he put this team together really quickly. In 2002, in the offseason, he uh, he got Chauncey and Rip, 
uh, both free agent deals, I believe. No. No? The, the, the rip was a trade. Okay. Jerry Stackhouse and uh, for, for a rip. Okay. Rip was in Washington. Remember, Rip at that time was a, was a frail guy, always getting hurt. People weren't that enamored with him. You know what I mean? Because he was always banged up or whatever. And Stackhouse was here. Stackhouse had won the... Uh, uh, Scoring championship one year. Game. Yeah, one year here. <laughs> so, so what was funny about that whole thing is, after they made that trade, Jordan, who was the GM with the Wizards at the time, was going around telling everybody that he fleeced Joe D. Stackhouse for Rip. You know, he got rid of Rip and whatever. And of course, who got the better deal on that? Yeah, Again, obviously. Joe D. Won that by getting Rip, who turned in to be a great player. Right. When he signed Chauncey Billups, there was no big. Oh my God, they got Chauncey Billups. There was none of that. It was, it was like just one of those pieces that didn't fit right in the right spot. It, it was. It was just the right piece, and and he blossomed into that player. And then uh, famously at the 0-4 trade deadline, gets Rasheed. After Rasheed had spent one night with the Atlanta Hawks. I know, right? I think, did he play <laughs> that night? Or did, did he, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if he played, but right. It was one game, one night. Yeah. <laughs> so gets Rasheed. That season, that regular season, so that team was really good defensively. Unbelievably so. So I, I, was think, like, I think they had a stretch. I want to say it was 11 games where they held teams under 70 points. It wasn't 11. It was five. No, no, no. It was longer than that. It was? Was it was the under was 90 long- longer than that? Because they, had, I went to a game where they had continued their un- holding them under 90 or holding 80, under 80 streak. Was okay. It was longer long. than that. It's either 9 or 11. It wasn't 5 because I remember when the Nets actually lost the game but went over 70. They almost celebrated because they were the first team to get over 70. It was a tip-in with one second left right? for the Nets to, to break the streak. Well, was it, it, it was more than five. Did you look it up? Did I you looked at it last night. I could have sworn it was five, but okay. we'll look it up. Either uh-huh. way, the other one is, Which is incredible anyway. Yeah. That's an incredible number. Does that happen? Is that one of those streaks that will never be broken? Yeah, like when, when is a team going to do that? I, I don't know if a team will do that because you know what? Defense is a lot of effort, and you got to want to play defense. That's what people don't understand. You have to want to play defense, yeah. and that team was all about that. was Larry Brown, about playing the right way, both ends of the floor, doing everything that they could do. I mean, it was so much fun to watch, and and even the Reggie Miller, which I go back to, I just think, Reggie, what are you thinking from the standpoint of you know what that team's about, you know Tayshon's on the floor, and for him not to go up and try to dunk, dunk the ball... Yeah. To put it up on the what you call, you were asking for trouble, and Tayshawn got it, and he got it clean too. So that was Eastern Conference Finals game six, or was that game five? No, 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 that's game two. Oh, was it? Because the the, the importance of it was the Pacers won game one, were in position to win game two with that. Had yeah. Reggie, yeah, and the Pistons would have been now 0-2 going back to the Palace, and they would have been in trouble. Instead, they got the split there and that that set them in motion and I remember that night writing a column for the Detroit News and I wrote if the Pistons make it to the NBA Finals remember remember this block because this is this is the one that changed everything and it wound up being one of those great moments in Detroit sports it really was And, and the other thing is when he blocked it he didn't block it so hard or knock it out of bounds where the Pacers would have taken over he, he blocked it, and it was able to block it, and Rip was able to secure the ball, and the Pistons have the ball, remember. Did you see the, going to take a jump to the, the present right now, but did you see the block KCP had in the, uh, the one that they just recently lost, like 10 seconds left, he did the same thing, and then
and the ball went off the defender, and the Pistons got the ball back. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That, that. I just wrote a thing on KCP for the Runner Sports. KCP, so, uh, you down with? Yeah. You know me? Yeah, you yeah. down with KCP. Um, the other big stat that I I saw going through the season was they only let four teams the entire year score 100 points. Think about no, I know. That. That's insane. Yeah. They were very tough, man. I'm telling you, even when I can remember the finals as well, people were, were, even all the stuff that they had done all year, you know, the Lakers were coming off. They didn't win the previous year, but they had won three in a row with Shaq and Kobe. And remember, they had gone out and gotten Carl Malone and, and Gary Payton. Right. So people were just assuming, okay, you know, this is a cute story all year. They're going to win. The Lakers are going to win. And I remember the writers just not believing it. When Pistons won game one, they said, oh, okay, well, you know, they got one. Yeah, yeah. Then, gets one. Then Kobe ties the game, remember, and the, Pistons, and the Lakers win overtime. I was at the two. Palace in game for game two for uh, Palace. Pissed, Vision. right? Aren't you pissed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and because they should have fouled Shaq when he had the ball rather than letting. The only guy who could kill you was Kobe. Right. And they let Kobe take the yeah, three. And that was to go into overtime. Right. Right. Three. Okay. right. He didn't win the game, right, but to tie it and put it in overtime. So... Uh, when they come back to L- to Detroit for Game Three, all the writers, I'm you know sitting there in a press room, you know guys, just uh, it's, you know Lake, the L.A. people, writers and comments, it's all over, you know. Now it's over. They should have never let the Lakers win that Game Two, Kobe, whatever, whatever. And then the Pistons win Game Three. And they said, yeah, okay, the Pistons won Game Three. The Lakers will win the next game and run it out. Yeah. And they just they never believed it until no, it was all yeah. over. They just wouldn't. That that team was going to beat the Lakers with four potential Hall of Famers on it. Was that the biggest finals upset of all time? It might have been. I, it, it was one of them. The betting line was like minus 800. Was that right? Yeah. Uh, I looked that up last night too. I, I believe it. I yeah. mean, people just, like I say, people thought that the Lakers with those guys were going to win the title. Oh, was, yeah. Well, it was just, I mean, it was just a team of, I mean, you talk about wanting to play defense. It was five starters plus all the bench players that were ready to play defense night in, night out. And, I mean, that whole, that series, from what I remember, you know, like I said before, but even this season, great de- great defensively at all five positions. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, and then they came in. was such an elite defender at the wing position. Yeah. I mean, he, he played Kobe really well. He famously always guarded Tracy McGrady really well. That was kind of what T-Mac was. He had the, he had the hardest job, man. Every yeah. night he had to defend those guys, man. I mean, he I... He had to I, fill I, in all the gaps. And, and he used to score, too, and yeah. do other he stuff. Was, yeah. He was really a good player. All right, I'm going to play a game here. Uh, based on these stats, we're going to try to guess which 0304 Piston this is. Okay, you ready? Pat, you ready? Are we playing against each other? Because no. I don't like my odds. No, no, no. Okay. I'll, I'll let you have a guess. Okay. Okay. All right, so this player had 1.4 points per game, shot a sizzling 26% from the field, and an even hotter 58% from the free throw line. Who is this Piston? Darko. Darko. Come on. <laughs> I had to throw him in there. <laughs> okay. I had to throw him and in there. And I'll say this in, in defense of Joe Dumas, I'm going to say. In that draft, I can still remember, I was at the, when, when they get the draft lottery came down, we were in New Jersey at the Nets, right? It was, it was, and it came down, and I remember saying to Joe, right when it came down, I said, is I'm going to get Carmelo? You know what I mean? Because everybody knew LeBron was going number one. Yeah. And that night he said to me, he goes, it's an option, but he said, there's this kid named Darko or whatever, which I, you know, at the time, I didn't really know, know. And I said, oh, okay. 
And then as we went on and talked to people, and I did a ESPN radio show with Doug Gottlieb. Of course, you know, a college basketball player. Yeah. CBS now. Yeah. With CBS. Yeah. And he told me on the radio that Darko was the best 16-year-old, 15-year-old player he had ever played against. He told me he was unbelievable. He could not get over that kid and how good he was. So I'm going to give you a background. And then you find out, you can look it up. And uh, the GM of the Nuggets, oh God, how can I forget his name? Kiki Vandeweghe. Kiki Vandeweghe, the shooter. Yeah. Didn't he play for the Nuggets too? Yeah, okay. Kiki Vandeweghe said that if they had the second pick, they would have taken Darko and not Carmelo. So I'm not saying it didn't work out and everything and, and a lot of reasons why it didn't work out. But it wasn't the consensus that everybody says now, like, oh, you should have taken Bosch, you should have taken Wade. That is not the case. When you look at those drafts, it wasn't set up that way. Yeah. It was, it, it was an it was unbelievable draft. draft. You don't see those drafts anymore. Even further, Vandewey had just come from Dallas, where he had drafted Dirk Nowitzki and let him play. And that was the thing with Darko, is that Larry Brown said, you're going to take the bench, and you're not going to play. And, the pro- and the maybe if he played, you know, you never know what would have happened. Most of the time, when you get a guy that high, it's because you have a bad team, so that guy normally gets to play and play through his mistakes. Right. Pistons were a championship-caliber team yeah. that had yeah. Rasheed Wallace in He's his spot. Yeah, so you're yeah. not going to play. And then, you know, you throw him in for the last two or three minutes every game. That's not really doing anything. Yeah. And then Larry Brown is old school. Right. Larry Brown's old school. He is big men play with their back to the basket or whatever. And then he's a European player on the wing. He can shoot. He can shoot the three. Larry's not buying that. So it made it, it was just the wrong situation to where that kid didn't have a chance to, to. And I'm not saying he was perfect or he practiced great and did everything right. I just think the, if he was on a bad team and the Pistons were bad, he probably would have got a chance to blossom and be a good look, player. Look at the opportunity that Kristaps Porzingis is getting right now. The Knicks really aren't that good. Danny is really high on on uh, the Zinger. But uh, he he didn't go to a great team, so he had the opportunity to kind of show that all the fans booing him at the draft night were right, remember pretty how, wrong. I mean, he seems pretty legit so far. Do you remember yeah. Stephen A. went crazy? Do you remember yeah. that whole thing? Yeah. I mean, and a lot of fans were like, oh, my, you know, that, that shot. Oh. The what, little kid. What, and now the little kid's been featured. Like, he got to meet Chris Stapps and, like, this whole full circle thing, which is terrible because this kid's just crying yeah. on TV and yeah. he's just getting rewarded to, right. for that. But, yeah. Well, that's how, and that's what the point is. You never know, and depending on your circumstances, situations sometimes. But they just didn't need him. It sounds crazy, but yeah. they didn't need him. They didn't need him. What if Carmelo goes there? I, 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 I have that, to think about that. Just because Carmelo's... Bands? kind of an inherently selfish player he's going to try and get his like how would he have fit into that, that would, I, it, would that have molded his game and he could have been like a more dominant player only if he would have bought into Larry Brown and, and remember defense. when Larry coached one of the national teams he won the Olympic team he coached one of the teams he didn't play LeBron or go go look LeBron or uh or Carmelo remember the year they lost oh yeah 04 Le- LeBron and Carmelo didn't play Allen Iverson yikes so, like I said, Larry's old school. And speaking of Larry, I got a great story I need to share. So, this is the next year, 05. Okay, they win the championship the next year. The playoffs are about to start. They're defending their title. And uh, Larry Brown says to me, uh, I heard you have a barbershop in Detroit. I said, yeah, you know, Sporty Cuts, Seven Mile Road. 
it's a cool place. You know, the guys love talking sports or whatever. Yeah, those are the real basketball fans. I know they don't get the chance to come out all the time, you know, whatever, tickets and, you know, and all that, but they love the game and all that. He said, I want you to take me down to your shop. So I'm like, what? You know, like... So, like, Larry, is, you don't have any hair. You know? <laughs> so this is the start of the playoffs, that the last practice or something before the playoffs start. So he says, yeah, after we're all done here, I'll get to jump in the car with you. We'll drive down to Detroit and go to the barbershop. So I'm driving. Larry Brown, he's sitting next to me in the car. And we're talking about basketball. He grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in Queens. You know, about New York, about just everything. Yeah. So we get to the shop, and people are freaked out. Like, oh, my God, Larry Brown. So they, people are walking in to get a haircut, you know, and they walk in, and they see Larry Brown there, and they're, like, freaking out yeah. on their phones. Come down to Sporty Cuts on 7 Mile. Larry Brown's here. Larry Brown's on 7 Mile. Unbelievable. So Larry comes in and uh, talks basketball. I think he gave away a pair of tickets to a game to somebody. Cool. And he says to my partner... In the barbershop, a guy named Tico Edwards. So Tico's wearing a Philadelphia 76er hat that day. And he says, uh, yeah, y'all won the championship last year. That was cool. But y'all ain't even getting past the Sixers this year. Who was a first-round opponent. Okay, so remember that. So he says it to Larry. Fast forward all the way until game seven in Miami where they beat uh, the Heat. Yeah. Remember, Rashid had a put back and a block in the final minute. Dwayne of, was beat up. Didn't Dwayne have ribs? Ribs or something. And they beat him in the game seven in Miami. So the game's all over. I'm standing out there talking on my cell phone. And Larry Brown is the last guy to get on the bus. He starts walking. He walks past me, sees me. He says, Who are you talking to? And I said, I'm talking to uh, Tico in the barbershop. He says, uh, From the barbershop. He says, uh, Give me the phone. So I hand Larry the phone. And he gets on the phone. He goes, I guess we got past the six. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? It's pretty awesome. That's cool. That's a real story. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this guy remembers. This guy said this at the start of the playoffs. Is there anyone that loves basketball more than Larry Brown? Like, I feel like he's the kind of guy that wakes up and breeds basketball. He uh, to me, he's, a, he's, the, he's the best. Off. He's the best coach I've ever seen. And I'm and I and I know he has people say, oh, he only won one championship. He's the only coach who's won in college and in pro. Right. And every team except the Knicks that he went to got better under his watch. And I just think he is a great coach. I, I really believe that. Allen Iverson owes him a lot, whether he accepted it or not, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Who I else was so. on those, those Sixer teams? Matt Geiger? Uh, Dikembe Mutombo, right? Snow, Dikembe. Okay. Because yeah. yeah. they went to the finals that year, they remember? They did. That? And they won, they won game, game one, one in yeah. L.A. Shocked everybody. Stepped over Tyron Lue. Yeah, just like LeBron's about to do. Right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it seems like uh, Larry Brown always seemed like a pretty genuine guy. To me, he was always like a grandpa because he was just like an older guy right. who was coaching my favorite team back in the day. Like, yeah. But he, he since then, he seems pretty genuine. I know there's been some issues with his college basketball days, but it seems seems like he was always that type of guy who would remember somebody at a barber shop talking smack Isn't about that the crazy? Sixers. I know. You know. That's wild. That is wild, but that's. He, I liked him. He's one of he's one of my favorite guys. Just to be around, and he he got it. You know, dealing with the media, like a lot of like today, I feel bad for some of these guys. I just think that they're so they don't get it. They don't understand when they when they try to diss or downplay or knock the media. They're doing it to the fans. We're there as a conduit for fans. I, I go there. I, I don't care. You know, I really don't care whether they win or lose. 
This is about the fans. It's not about me. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess you guys came to play today. Uh, who, who am I? Two blocks per game, 1.8 assists per game, 1.1 steals per game. Eldon Campbell. Yeah. It is Rasheed Wallace. Really? Oh, yeah. Right. I thought the blocks was, were a little high. I thought I was going to give you a little red herring thinking it was Ben Wallace. I thought, yeah, I would have. I don't know, yeah, Eldon wouldn't have had that many because he didn't play that I much. Ben so I was looking for a small net. Did you know, he really? I think Ben had Yeah, I was looking for a bench player. player game. I was looking for a bench player just because. Uh, okay, last one. 9.6 points per game, 5.8 rebounds per game, and 38% from three. 38% from three? You said Lindsey Hunter? Yeah. It is Mehmet Oker. Mehmet. Mehmet He's a great shooter. Oh, yeah, no, he was. Really great shooter. I can remember the day that Joe drafted him. We were doing a show, the night show on 97.1, Parker and the Man, and Joe's driving home and calls in unsolicited after the draft. And he calls in because we're talking about players, and he goes, out of everything we did today, he goes, this player, Mehmet Okur, I'm telling you, he's, he's something else. And yeah. I, I can always remember that conversation well, here he is talking about a guy who was drafted in the second round who wound up making, being a good player in the league for a number of years. He got a big years. deal from the Jazz. Yeah, right? he got big money. Uh, another random trivia fact. You would probably remember this. Kyle, there's no way you're going to remember this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you never know. Come Let's on. See, I mean, who come was on. calling the games for ABC during the finals in 0304? Brad Neslidge. Was Al Michaels. Al Michaels. And who was the color guy? Current NBA coach. Current NBA coach. Steve Kerr. It is Doc Rivers. Oh, Doc. Doc. I didn't remember that at all. I, I feel, guess I, wasn't I feel like Doc's enough. commentary career might be over after he's done coaching basketball. You think? I mean, the raspiness is at an all-time uh, high right yeah. now. He's getting that Thibodeau raspy yeah. thing oh, going real on. Bad. Cause those guys they yell the whole game. I don't oh, know how no. they do it. it, it PJ Carlissimo is really bad. <laughs> Cause they yell the whole. Imagine yeah. yelling for two and a half hours every night. I could just the, the post-game interviews with like Tom Izzo crack me up. Just listening to those guys like they have zero voice left, he's but they've got, got thirty seconds to to talk to. Holly Rowe or someone like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the Jersey retirements. Uh, I know you were at the Ben Wallace one. Pretty special thing. I, I watched it on TV. Did you get a chance to see it, Kyle? I saw the highlights of it. That was good. It, it was pretty awesome, I thought. It was. it was pretty great. I loved hearing Ben speak, uh, you know, individually. Uh, mentioning oh, he was, his, his teammates. And he was else. humbled by it. I mean, he, he really was. he was really humbled by it. Because you got to remember, undrafted player from yeah. Virginia Union. Virginia Union. I mean, you know... Uh, and then you come up here. Remember, this is the first place that wanted him. Again, he's in this deal. Joe says, hey, I want this guy, Ben Wallace. You know, you see him out there saying, hey, he's got a, you know, an NBA body or whatever. But nobody really thought that much of him as a player at that point. And then he was going to be the cornerstone. Imagine, he, you're making a cornerstone of a franchise of a guy who wasn't even drafted. Right. That doesn't happen very often. Won four out of five defensive players of the year. I think Dikembe is the only other person. And earned them. And, and and they were like legit. Yeah. You know? It's hard to win that many of any award because people start getting numb to the stats that you're putting up. It's just really difficult. I agree. Very it's so we got Chauncey on February 10th. Broad question, but was Chauncey the leader of that team, do you think? If, I, if I do. One? I do. Yeah. When you're the point guard and you have the ball. And the other thing that made Chauncey, to me, special is, and I've covered the NBA, I want you to know, I started covering the NBA in 1987. That's the first time I was a 
credentialed member of the media it's sitting a good time there. To start covering that. Oh yeah. yeah. I told you I watched Michael Jordan this whole yeah. I was there sitting courtside when he made that shot over Craig Elo, all that kind of stuff. I saw a lot of that. But I'm saying uh I've watched plenty of players who when it's crunch time and the ball, you know, somebody needs to make a shot, they run with their hands down to their sides. They want they don't want the ball. They start to defend the defender. I'm yeah. running behind you yeah. instead of running in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because they don't want any part of it. So not only did Chauncey want the ball, he wasn't afraid to take the shot. So that's why that name, Mr. Big Shot, he was the real deal. He wanted the ball, and he was going to shoot it. Yeah. And he made it most times. You, you just brought up Mr. Big Shot. I don't want to cut off your stance or anything. But like talk about Mr. Big Shot um, and Rip and... You know, fear the fro and ball don't lie. Like each player had a personality on that, team, like individual to their own. And it was weird. We talked about what a great team they were, but each, you know, every you talk to ten kids, you know, ten elementary school kids, they all had their favorite about that team. Like it was really cool to watch. I talked about what a fun team they were. Just each personality blossom at different points. At the end of a game, it's Mr. Big Shot. You guys remember walking out of bounds? He throws that ball over his head and it just goes in. It shakes it off, but the crowd goes crazy. Like, yeah. It was just one of those things that exemplified the nickname he was given, and all five of those guys did the same thing. It was thing. almost like, what kind of what kind of person were you? you yeah, know, like, right. I'm a Sheed guy. You right. know? Yeah, exactly. I love Tayshon. You know? A lot of people love Sheed. I, I'll tell you, I remember being in Indianapolis after they lost game one. Remember they lost game one of the Eastern Conference uh, to Indianapolis, and... He guaranteed that they would win game two. Yeah. Guaranteed, yeah. And it became a guaranteed, and it just... He did it a couple times. No, he did a couple times. Then he went out, because a couple times people went to him yeah. trying to get one, and he yeah. was like, nah, I'm not doing that. So I'm not going to, like, like, don't kill it, man, because the first one was impressive. But it became a guaranteed, and he gave them, to me, the team, the toughness that they needed. You know what I mean? Like, he's a guy you want on your team, and you know when... When uh, you need somebody to get in there and fight with you and battle, he's going to be there. He's not running the other way, and I think he was a missing piece. That was a great piece that Joe added at the trade deadline, which to me pushed him over the top. I've, I've talked to a lot – I shouldn't say a lot of people, but there are people out there who aren't crazy about Rasheed Wallace. Like, they, they didn't think he was selfish, but he wasn't – like, a lot of those guys seemed like natural Detroiters. They weren't, but they just seemed like right. they were with the team and they started this evolution. And Rashid wasn't that. And he was, he was tough, but he wasn't part of that original four going to work guys. And they resented him after everything kind of fell apart. You know, you said after the 08-09 season, that's when things started too, and people started to turn on Rashid Wallace quicker than anybody else. I mean, they, they won't turn on the other four, but Rashid was like a goat for a lot of people. Yes and no. I think I think he was the type of guy that had earned enough uh, respect and credit with fans. That it was the kind of thing like even in individual moments when he's taking threes, he's taking ill-advised threes. You're going, oh come on. Right. So when he would do things, you know, beyond those seasons where they were really competing, yeah. it was like, oh, it's just she. Yeah, you know, just, she, he, she's just she, chucking up. Right, right. She's going to be the assistant coach. Ah, she, you know. She's going to try and play again. Ah, she, right. you know. It's just yeah. like. But I'll tell you, when, when you get to know him, I, I've covered sports 30 years. And if I were to give you my list of top five players I ever covered, he's one. Yeah. 
because he's unfiltered, he's real, and whatever you ask him, he'll give you an honest opinion, and you can't get that from most people. Yeah. Most people are so busy, oh, I can't say that, because yeah. uh, and before you know it, I give you nothing. Yeah. You ask Rashid an honest question, and I'm going to give you a story about Rashid, just, just stuff that you wouldn't think about. So, uh... One year of doing, I started doing a lot of first take one summer, you know, started doing a lot of shows. So training camp started or whatever, first time I saw them, that fall, you know, when camp opened up. So when she comes over to me, he's walking by, he goes, hey Rob, um, when you get a minute, come to my locker, I want to critique you on about first take. What? <laughs> I sw- that's what he said. So I go to his locker and he and he lays it out like, dude, love when you do this. You know, you, you always come up with, you always have facts. You just don't throw stuff out. I mean, a real honest critique. Yeah. Here's Rasheed Wallace. So I thought, oh, unbelievable. Second one is, I was doing Parker and the Man. Rasheed said he was gonna come on the show. Rasheed had never done talk radio for anybody. He agreed to do my show. Never. So we kind of promoted, you know, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. We're promoting it. He doesn't call me. So I'm like, man, <laughs> feeling like, you know, we promoted this thing all day. He's at Buddy's night. Pizza just hanging out. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't call in. I see him the next game. I'm not going to say anything or make him feel bad. I just, yeah. I'm standing there. He walks right over to me and says, man, that was on me. I blew it. I totally forgot. He goes, give me the number again. I'll call in tonight. And... The next, that night, the next night, called in, whatever. That's cool. show. That's so it really just told cool. me about him, that that he's a man of his word, and he, he probably did forget. And I was like, that's cool. He's genuine. Yeah. Grant Hill did something like that, too, during his day, and I know what I want to tell for work. No worries. Uh, Grant was going to be on the show, and at this time, the show was on Sunday evenings. So they're coming back from California, and Grant was going to come into the studio to do the show. That's a big get. You know, Grand Hill coming in. Yeah. So they're coming back. They want to spend the night in, in California. And they're flying back. They get back Sunday evening. So I'm like, oh, that's not happening now. Yeah. Because, you know, whatever. I'm just like, it is what it is. I understand. It's not his fault. Yeah. Texas me. Um, we're on the way. On the way? He got off the plane. Him. His wife picked him up. Him and his wife drove straight to the studio, not to his house, and stayed for an hour in studio taking calls. Him and his wife. Man I'll, of his I'll, word. I'll never forget That's that. That's awesome. Man of his word. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, man, great conversation. Yeah. Love this team. Love talking about it. I love that the Pistons are surging again. And you can start to see how much the city really loves the Pistons when they start getting good, which you could say about any team. But there is a special No, there's a connection, there. though. I yeah. think there's a connection again. And it, it is about teams. When you're winning, people like. But there's still... When teams fit the city and people feel a part of it, it's even better. And I think this team, with Andre Drummond especially, you know, getting a, a feel for... Uh, feeling like the Pistons are the city's team again. I, yeah. I do feel that. That's cool. Yeah, it's like they're picking something up that they've, they, they, that's familiar to them. This team was really good. They had a run that the team that we're talking about that won another championship, and now if they start getting good again, it's like a more familiar.
know your feeling for well, it's, fans. It's kind of, I mean, it's funny. Like, obviously, I wasn't around for the bad boys. But, you know, you've got that little run. And you've got this team we're talking about. And maybe they pick something up here. You know, the the Tigers have been good. But never, you know, they haven't won their World Series since the 80s. The People are complacent with the Red Wings because they've been, you know, they're going on a quarter century of making the playoffs. And the lines are lines. So there's always you can always count on the Pistons probably bringing something back soon, you know, 10, 15 years. If they're good, I yeah, would say. Yeah, if they're good, yeah, they're going to bring back this this fan base that remembers the bad boys or, oh, I remember growing up with that 04 team, that right. going-to-work team. And it's fun for fans, and it's probably really fun for all these players to be part of, like, that legacy of these Pistons teams that have come back from the dead and been great. Oh, I, I saw that during the uh, Ben Wallace re- uh, retirement. Those younger players looking at those guys, those are guys, they look at see Chauncey and Rip and Rasheed, man, they were all over them. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they know what those guys did. That that run, people I think sometimes, and, and obviously because they only won one championship, they had a chance really to win two, and probably could have gone to two other finals had things played out right, you know what I mean, for LeBron them. LeBron James didn't go Yeah, you know. <laughs> but the one in, in that game always, people never forget, never remember, is that the Pistons were hurt in the first quarter of that game because Antonio McDice was thrown out of that game. Okay. And that really hurt them. That was the that was the difference maker. That was out, game five, too. They were out of one of their players. I believe Rasheed made a guaranteed in that series, too. After they lost that game, I'm pretty sure he guaranteed victory. Did he? Did they win? They, they lost. They lost. LeBron went to the finals again. That's right. Molly they got well because they the shouldn't have been there. That was right. that was the the bad one. Right? Yeah. No, he airballed his first two free throws. Yeah. That, oh, man. <laughs> Rough times. Well, Rob, thanks for taking the time, yeah, man, oh, talking man. about this team. Appreciate I appreciate it. it. What do you mean you weren't around for the bad boys? Man, how old are you? Can I see your ID? <laughs> <laughs> it's vertical, but you can not. <laughs> oh, man, well, that's cool. Thank you to Sweet Lorraine's for letting us do this. Uh, we sat down and had a meal, and it was excellent. I encourage you guys to check it out here in Southfield. Thank you to the Runner Sports. Thank you to Actar Actar for our theme music. Thank you to you for tuning in. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, of course. Anytime. <laughs>